Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. I've been gone so long, I filled out a connection card. Uh, so uh, then I texted myself. That was weird. But uh, anyway, it's good to, good to be home. We were, we were gone, did a good bit of traveling. Uh, our staff went to a, a minister's conference, and we got some training and, and got refreshed. And then we, we actually ministered a little bit to some, uh, some Crossroads families uh, who are long distance. And then we got to take a couple of days off, and then my crazy wife ran a marathon. <laughs> like, like, what do you want? Why do you encourage her? Why, we're just, why, why do you do that? I, I don't know. But it's like, hey, you want to relax? Yeah, let's run 26.2 miles. Uh, but uh, anyway, we had ice cream later, so that was, that was awesome. Um, and then we were at a men's conference over the last couple of days, so it's been a busy couple of weeks, but it is good to be home. And several weeks ago, we started a series that we've been calling Crosswords crosswords, and, and we've been taking kind of a magnifying glass and zooming in on the seven statements that Jesus Christ made while he was on the cross at, at this place called Calvary. He hung there for six hours, suffered unimaginable pain, yet even while he's suffering, he uses his final breaths to make seven incredible statements that still impact our lives today. Some of his statements, oh look, the fly's back, thank you. Uh, he, he made the whole trip with us and came back. Some of his statements that Jesus made from the cross were deeply theological. I mean, deeply theological. It's like he was giving a university-level theology class using just a few words. Like when he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, he was teaching us volumes about things like salvation and forgiveness, the afterlife, eternity. Just a couple of words, he was teaching us so much. He made several really, really big statements like that. But the statement that we're going to look at today is a little different. And to me, this is one of the most intriguing statements that he made from the cross. And at first glance, we might be like, why is this statement even in here? I mean, why did it, why did it make it into scripture? It, it sounds like Jesus was just dealing with a a really a, a, a personal family matter, why would the entire world for thousands of years need to read about that? But upon closer inspection, we're going to see that this statement is both incredibly practical and deeply theological. So let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 19. This is the third statement that we're looking at that Jesus Christ makes while hanging on the cross. John 19 and verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Again, we're on the scene of the crucifixion. Let's talk about who is present. Of course, there are the soldiers who have been carrying out the crucifixion. 
there's the mob. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago. These are people, remember, he is, he is not, even though he's sing on a hill far away, he's not really on a hill far away. He's being crucified at, at ground level, pretty much. He's near a road. It's busy. People are coming by, and as part of his punishment, he's being mocked. He's being sneered at. He's being ridiculed. So that mob of, of bystanders and onlookers, they're around. And then there is this small group of people who know him and love him. At one time, Jesus has drawn thousands of people to his services, but now they've all scattered. Even his disciples have abandoned him. And as far as we know, there are just five people present at the cross to support him. There are four women, three of them named Mary. Now, I just have a strange sense of humor, and I know it, but I'm just thinking, were baby name books not a big thing back then? It's like, what are you going to name your daughter? Well, I was thinking of Mary. Okay, that's a good one. How, what are you going to name your... I was thinking of Mary. And what's your name? Mary. Oh, three of them. There's four ladies there. Three of them are named Mary. But it's interesting. There's only one guy. One guy. Now, in some of the other Gospels, we're told that all of the disciples abandoned him. All of them fled. So at some point, John, the disciple whom he loved, that's what John calls himself, John comes back. Now, I'm just picturing, did Mary go find John and grab him by the ear and say, you're not going to leave my baby boy up there to die alone. Come on, we're going to the cross. Is that what happened? I mean, I can picture that. I don't know why. For some reason, though, John ends up coming back. So there are four women there, three of them named Mary, and there's one disciple, the disciple John. Jesus has gone from rock star preacher, surrounded by thousands of people, to criminal status, with just five people there to support him. As we look at this picture, I want us to think about a few things. First of all, I want us to imagine Mary's pain. We've probably all been in a situation where we've had to watch someone we love suffer pain and there's nothing you can do you can't fix it you can't take their pain from them it just it rips your heart out I remember when uh, when our daughter Mariah had to get tubes in her ears and she's just real little and but she's she's big enough to know hey something's going on she's big enough to know that she's in a hospital and in a few minutes they're going to take her away from us and I just remember I can't I mean this is a lot of years ago but I cannot Get the picture out of my mind that when they begin to wheel her away and she's crying and Patty's crying and I'm crying. And in that moment, it's just like, oh, it's horrible. She's, she doesn't, she's scared. She's alone. She doesn't know what's going to happen to her. Now, it wasn't a huge deal, but for us, it was a big deal. I remember when our son Matthew had to go in for multiple surgeries and, and we're there and they're getting him prepped. And we know that he's, he's in for a lot of pain. He's in for a long recovery. When it's your kid, it rips your heart out. How many would say amen? Right? And so imagine Mary. She's looking at her. And you know how we are as parents. It doesn't matter how old our, our kids get. They're still our babies. Right? And there she is looking at her baby boy. This is her firstborn. She had him when she's just a teenager. I mean, they have, they have, they've literally grown up together. And, and, and he's been beaten. 
His beard has been plucked from his face, a crown of thorns forced over his head. He's been whipped 39 times. He's been stripped. Most likely he's naked hanging on this cross. He's mocked. He's ridiculed by the bystanders. And Mary, she can do nothing but just watch it. She can't intervene. She can't protect him. She can't defend him. She just stands there. The only thing she can offer is her prayer and her presence. She's looking at his hands. Pierced through with a spike. How many times did she hold those hands? How many times did she stroke those fingers while she was nursing him? How many times did she clean under those nails? And now they're nailed to a cross. Looking at his feet. Pierced with a spike. She remembers his first step. She remembers his first pair of sandals. She's got him at home in a box. She remembers how many times she's cleaned those feet, and now she can't even wipe the blood that is flowing from them. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic this morning. In fact, I'm probably not doing it justice. What types of thoughts and emotions are running through her mind in this moment? If the doctor said, hey, Mary, rate your emotional pain on a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 1,000. She is suffering unimaginable pain as her baby boy is dying an excruciating death. Now, while we're talking about Mary, I think it's important for us to understand that Mary is human. Okay, Mary is human. I know that some churches teach that Mary herself was divine. But friends, there's nothing in Scripture that supports that. Mary, she was chosen by God. She was blessed by God for sure with a special mission to, to, to give life, give birth to Jesus. I mean, that is awesome. But Mary herself is a human. She's just she's a woman. And, and she's got human parents. And Mary herself needs salvation just like we all do. Mary should be honored but never worshipped. Mary should be respected. But we shouldn't pray to her and we shouldn't see her as some type of intercessor between us and God. Because 1 Timothy 2 and 5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men. That is the man Christ Jesus. That's just it. That's just it. So Mary, she's not deity. She's human. And like any mom would suffer in this moment. She's suffering. And just as any son would hate to see his mom in this type of pain, Jesus is there and he sees his mother and he makes this third statement that we're looking at in this series. Let's look at it again. John 19 and verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that being John, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. This is just incredible to me. He is suffering excruciating pain. He's just moments away from his own death. And in the midst of that suffering, he uses one of his last breaths to make sure that his mother is taken care of. I told you today, it's going to be incredibly practical. And it is because... Through this statement from the cross, we are reminded just how special the family unit is to God. Before there was ever a school or an army or a government or even a church, God created family. 
He brought together a husband and a wife, and he blessed them with children. And God's design for family is the building block for any healthy culture. And any time we attempt to redefine or dismantle the family unit, we pay a severe price for it. We have more than enough data to affirm what Scripture teaches, that healthy societies only happen when there are healthy families. And when we alter God's design, things like crime and poverty, incarceration, homelessness, and addiction, those things skyrocket. So not only did God design family to be the building block of a nation, but he's also given us the responsibility to take good care of our families. If we look at the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, one of the commandments is what? Honor thy father and thy mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your daddy and your mama. It's called the first commandment with a promise, meaning that God gave the command, but then he attached a promise to it saying, if you honor your parents, I will bless you for it. But I believe we can also conclude that if we don't, he won't. If we don't, he won't. A culture that does not honor their parents will live under the consequences of that choice, and those consequences are not good. Throughout Scripture, this is a common theme that we are to provide care and support for our families. You know, Jesus rebuked the, the religious community. He rebuked them for a lot of stuff. Well, one of the reasons he rebuked the religious community of his day is because they wouldn't take care of their parents. He was upset about it. And then the Apostle Paul carried on this tradition by giving uh, specific instructions about providing for the family. In fact, sometimes people would bring their, their moms, you know, their elderly moms or their grandmas. They would bring them to the church and they'd be like, hey, Paul, hey, Peter, hey, 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 uh, Timothy, we need you to take care of our mom. We need you to take care of grandma. She's old now. We don't really, you know, we don't want to take care of her. And, and Paul was like, hold on. He's like, it's, it's not primarily the church's responsibility to take care of your mama. It's your responsibility to take care of your mama. I mean, this is, this is, this is as Christian as it gets. <laughs> 1 Timothy 5 and verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first, everyone say first. Let them first learn to show piety at home and repay their parents. Oh, I like the sound of that. <laughs> Repay their parents for this is good and acceptable before God. Here we are living in an entitlement generation where kids think that their moms and dads owe them something. And the Bible comes along and says, oh, hold on there, big boy. It's time for you. Once you're grown up, you ought to be out of mom's basement. And it's time for you to start repaying mama. It's time for you to start repaying daddy. Look what the NIV, it says it this way. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice. Paul's saying, take what you believe, put it into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. You want to please God? 
Take care of your family. He goes on. He ain't done. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Yikes. The principle of family care is so Christian that Paul says if we decline to do it, we are actually denying our faith. Our culture today does not honor the elderly. We treat them as a nuisance. We treat them as disposable. And this is a problem. God will not and cannot bless a generation that doesn't honor its parents. Parents, your kids need to learn how to honor you. You do them no favors by allowing them to disrespect you. If they don't learn to respect you, they will not respect themselves and they will not respect others. It is your job to teach them to respect you in your home. Some good preaching today. <laughs> Younger people, let me talk to you for a minute. Gently. We love your passion and your ideas and your energy. But you must resist the trends of culture that lead to entitlement and the dishonor of authority figures in your life. The reason our culture doesn't honor is because it hates godly authority. It really does. Rebellion is built into our sin nature, and we hate any type of authority in our lives. That's why when the, when the, when the speed limit says 55, you go 60. We just hate it. It's built into us. But part of our sanctification process, part of our discipleship process, part of the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ is learning to honor godly authority in our lives. And no matter how big you get, no matter how old you get, you're always going to have some authority over you. All of us. And, and we learn to become like Jesus when we submit to that godly authority. I want to encourage you, young folks, if you want to walk in the blessing of God, honor your previous generations. Honor the people who are older than you in your life. I encourage you to recapture the forgotten virtue of honor. You will be a better person for it, and God will bless you when you become a carrier of honor. Family is so special to God, and it cannot be replaced by government. And we should not support any movement in our culture that seeks to dismantle God's definition of family. And much of the socialism and Marxism that we see rising in America today, do you know what that does? That seeks to dismantle the biblical model of family because even Marx knew that when you weaken the family, you weaken the nation, and weak people are easy to rule. We must hold high God's design of family and aspire to it even in a culture that despises it. Now, I would be amiss if I didn't say this at the same time, that I recognize that many of us have suffered some of our greatest wounds 
in our own families. Some of the deepest pain that you and I will ever walk through often happens at home. The place that should be filled with love and security many times is, is filled with pain and hurt and rejection and abuse. I get that. I understand that. So I'm not saying we need to pretend that, you know, our families are, you know, just always wonderful and we, we're, we're just like the Waltons. Google it, young people. It's a good show. And I'm not saying that that we can't have healthy boundaries. In fact, I think part of honor is having healthy boundaries. I'm not saying that we must allow ourselves to be abused or hurt or taken advantage of, but I believe we can honor with wisdom. Honor with wisdom. I know a man who had a, a horrible childhood. <laughs> he just did. There's no way to make it sound any better than what I just said. It was a horrible childhood. His dad was abusive to him in every way. But as his dad began to grow older and he could do less and less for himself and this friend of mine began to grow in his faith and he's growing more and more, I started seeing him reach out to his dad. I started seeing him going to his dad's house and helping him with some stuff. And he's working on his car and he's, he's helping him with some projects around the house. He's going grocery shopping for his dad. And I even asked him one day, I said, bro, what are you doing? Like, I know your story. You've confided in me. I know how awful this man was to you. Why are you doing all of this? He said, well, he's still my dad. And I believe God wants me to. Now, the part of us that longs for justice and revenge and wants to get even, it would rise up right now and say, what, he doesn't deserve that? Did he even ask for forgiveness? No, the dad didn't even ask for forgiveness. But the Christ that lives inside of my friend decided to offer it. And my friend has been healed through the way that he has honored his father, even though his father didn't even deserve it. That is the power of God. That is Christianity in action. Again, we're not saying put yourself in a position where you're taken advantage of. Not saying put yourself in a position where, where you're abused. Anything like that. None of us grew up in a perfect family. You know, Jesus didn't even grow up in a perfect family. He really didn't. As I was studying this passage, I was, I was, thinking, I was thinking about this this week that you know, like there were times that we're told about in the Bible, Jesus had some pretty rough interactions with his family. How about the time where they, they literally went on a road trip and forgot Jesus? It's in the Bible. The Bible says that a day's journey, do you know how far you could travel in a day? A day's journey went by until they realized they forgot him. Now, I have forgotten some of my kids from time to time, but within an hour or two, I realized, hey, where's Matthew? Right? And then it took him three days to find him. They lost the Son of God for three days. I don't care what you watched and what your religion teaches you. It wasn't a perfect family. How about the time that they were at the wedding and they ran out of wine at the wedding? And Mary comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, come here. Jesus, come here. Listen, I know this is embarrassing, 
but this is my friend, and this is her baby's wedding. I don't want them to suffer any more embarrassment. Listen, Jesus, I want you to use your power to do a miracle and make some more wine. And Jesus looks at her. Read the text. Jesus looks at her and said, woman, my time has not come. She ignores him, looks at the servants, and says, do whatever he tells you to do. She already knew she was pressuring him into doing that miracle. I submit to you, Jesus may have had an overbearing, controlling mother. Some of you are really mad at me now. Really mad at me now. If you're sending an email, it's uh, Deep Creek Baptist Church, P.O. Box. (laughs) What about the time Jesus is teaching a Bible study? This is a pretty big deal to him. Teaching a Bible study. He's in the house. He's got a bunch of people around him, and he's, he's, he's doing deep theological things. He's, he's like, I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is like a man who goes off to war. And in the background, his family's over here in the background. Jesus! 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 And he's over here. He's trying to teach. For the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And in the background, you can hear them. Jesus! Because earlier in the text, It says that they think he has gone crazy. Jesus' mom and his brothers think that he has lost his mind. And he's there inside the house, and he's teaching a Bible study, and they're yelling. And it becomes so distracting that some of the people in the Bible study said, Excuse me, Jesus, I don't want to interrupt, but maybe you couldn't hear. But there are actually people outside the house yelling for you, and it's actually your mom. (laughs) And you know what Jesus did? He said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? But those who do the will of my father. Y'all, he didn't stop what he was doing. He kept on going. Finally, his mom and brothers, I guess they just said, you know what? He is crazy. And they walked away. He He did not grow up in a perfect family. Yet here he is, final breaths looks down, sees his mom, pauses, and says, Behold, your son. Now, I just want to ask you here for a moment. How are we doing at honoring our parents, I know some of our parents have passed away, but some of us have our parents. How are we doing at honoring them? Or maybe our grandparents. Or maybe it's other authority figures in our lives. I think the principles goes bigger even than just parents. How How are we doing at that? Now, just as beautiful as what Jesus says to Mary is what Jesus says to John. And what he shows us in the statement to John is, 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 hey, behold your mother. And then John takes her and starts to take care of her. Jesus shows us how essential it is to have a spiritual family. Because what he could not find in his natural family, he found in his church family. Do you know Jesus had four brothers and two sisters? Why didn't he leave Mary to one of them? 
We don't know. We could speculate and say maybe they didn't. They weren't financially well off. Maybe they couldn't take care of her. We don't know. We're not told. We would only be speculating. But he doesn't. What he could not find in his natural family, he found in his spiritual family. He said, John, I'm entrusting to you my greatest earthly relationship. Would you take my mama and would you love her and care for her like she is your own? A few months ago, we rolled out a simplified vision statement for our church. It's really four bullet points that just very simply kind of say, why do we exist? It's experience God, find family, discover purpose, and transform lives. Experience God, find family, discover purpose, and transform lives. I cannot overemphasize how important it is for each of us to find spiritual family. In this room are spiritual moms and dads. In this room, listen, I didn't grow up with a grandfather, but now being a part of this church, I got about 50 of them. And they are free to tell me, and they tell me stuff all the time. Boy, I don't like that. Boy, I didn't like that. How come you guys did that song? How come you did that? Are you sure you want to wear that? Wow, you're getting a little pudgy there. How, I thought you were on the, wow, you got that donut in your hand. Is that your second cup of coffee that you, you guys are nosy? But I love you. I never had that in my natural family. I found it in the family of God. We say it all the time. You probably get tired of me saying it or Chris saying it or Brandon or whoever. We say it all the time. But these big gatherings like Sunday morning, they're important. But if you want to grow, you got to get in a small group. You got to find you some spiritual family. Because that's where real formation happens. When we get out of rows and we get into circles and we begin to look each other in the eye and do life together. Again, I've been out of town. I got back really, really late uh, Monday night and came up here Tuesday. I was here all day. Went to the gym, came back in the evening. And I'm walking around the building. There are five different groups of people meeting on Tuesday night here. And they're not just meeting for the sake of meeting. They are doing life together. They're finding their John. They're finding that grandma. They're finding that brother in the Lord. They're finding that sister in the Lord. We all need people to seek God with. Yesterday we were down in Lynchburg, Virginia. A group of guys went down to this men's conference. and Big conference, about 4,000 guys down there. And they've got all these NFL players there. And so... uh, Big Ben, Ben Roethlisberger's there. Any any Steeler fans in the house? Uh, just a couple. All right, just a couple. I don't want to start a war, but Ben's there. He's one of the guests, and 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 he's on the he's on the platform, and he's talking. And here's a guy. I think he I think he's you know just recently retired, but I think he played like 17 or 18 seasons, two Super Bowls. I mean, he's future Hall of Famer, all this stuff. And as he's sitting there talking about growing in his faith, do you know what he says? He's like, Oh, I tell you, one of the most impactful things in my life has been my small group. Now, you would think a guy with all that fame, all that fortune, all that, you know, what the world calls success, like he wouldn't need 12 people in his life. But he says, yeah, my wife and I and five other couples, we get together and we have a small group. And that's been vital to our spiritual health. Friends, every one of us needs to be connected to a spiritual family. So here, let's apply it. I said today, this is all about being practical. Number one. Honor your family. This is going to look different for each of us. 
Okay, it's going to look different for each of us. Because we've all grown up in different families, and again, please don't say that I'm taking the word and telling you, you know, you need to put yourself back into an abusive situation. But maybe your honor is prayer. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe your family is, is a wreck. But you need God's help. And so the way that you honor your family is simply by praying for them. For, for some others, maybe it's, maybe it's we need to make some more phone calls. Maybe, maybe it need, needs to be some more visits. We get busy, right? We're all busy. But, but are we honoring the people who literally <laughs> raised us? Maybe it's some more visits. Maybe it's some more texts. Maybe for some of us, it's just watching the tone of your voice. You talk to your mama that way? Jesus, hanging on a cross, stops. Says, John, take care of my mother. Man, that's honor. So again, it looks different for all of us. Maybe, maybe for some, honor might be forgiveness. Maybe for some, maybe honor is, is some financial help. Maybe, maybe you're in a position to be a blessing, to repay. To, to honor in that way. I don't know what it is, and I'm not asking anyone to put yourself in a situation where you suffer harm or take, uh, take abuse, but I'm just saying pray about it. Ask God to show you. Say, Lord, how can I honor you by honoring my family? Mr. Welch, would you come today? And Debbie, you're welcome to come as well. They're going to close us out in prayer. But then the next step in our application is Build your spiritual family. If you're new here, we're so glad that you're new here. We have lots and lots of new people here. But we want you to get connected. And you do that, again, not just in a church our size. Coming to the large groups, it's, it's not enough. Coming to this gathering, it's not enough. It, it's an important part of it. It's a time of instruction and celebration. It's all, it's great. But getting into a small group where you can do some life with people, that is vitally important. So if you're new here, you can go to our website, crossroadsofchurch.com, click on next steps, click on groups, and we'll help get you connected to a group. I've asked a couple of different people to close us in prayer today, and, and I've watched Dave and Debbie Welch honor their families by providing just tremendous care. And I know it's a, it's a different season in life, right, where you have to care for the people who cared for you. But I know it's also an awesome, blessed time in your life. So if you want to share anything about that, you're welcome to do that. But then pray over our church and dismiss us today. Thank you, sir. So Debbie and I are, uh, I, I think, privileged, really, to have parents to take care of. 105 years old, 95 and 91 years. And my dad asked me uh, recently, he's done this a couple times, he said, uh, why don't you uh, just let us go to assisted living? And I said, why? I said, don't you like it here? They're at home. And he said, well, you kids, it's too much work for you all to take care of us. I said, well, how many years did you take care of us? And <laughs> he'll grin. And I say, um, we want to take care of you. We like to take care of you. We want to help you. It's a, it's a privilege. And besides that, it saves us money. Nursing homes are expensive. You'd be spending all of our inheritance. I'll make more money if you stay here. And then he'll laugh, and we won't have that conversation for a while. 
but it is a privilege and a blessing to have our parents at this at this age and uh, it's not a it's not a burden to do this it's a blessing would you pray with me father i thank you for pastor dave and the words that you brought to us through him today lord i thank you that debbie and i have our parents still to take care of and still um, to be a blessing to them. Lord, it is a privilege and an honor to serve you. Uh, we do not take that lightly. We, we, are, we are blessed to be able to, to serve you. Lord, help us as a family. We're all family here. We're the family of God. And help us to serve each other in gladness. The world sees you through that. When somebody comes in need, help us to be the helping hand. When somebody needs prayer, help me to not hesitate to pray for them. If somebody needs a ride, help me to give them the transportation they need immediately. Lord, help me to look for those those blessings this week and may it honor you we thank you for the privilege to serve you amen